If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." Well, hey, it's great to be with you again. I hope that you had a uh, wonderful week following Christmas. I know uh, that I did. This is usually the week where Christmas hangover sets in, where you know you struggle to wake up in the morning, and when you do wake up, your head hurts. And you're just like, oh, why did I spend all that money? Why did I eat so many Christmas cookies? And you're kind of looking at the new year, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like that was terrible. I'm never gonna do that again. Uh, and actually, I saw this quote. On Instagram, it's just like, I was dying laughing at this. You know, this week of week full of behavior, you're like, okay, fine. But next year, I'm stopping this. And uh, this, you may not be able to see this, but this up here just had pizza for breakfast and started with a movie at 11 a.m. Also, what's a shower? Uh, that defines my week. My wife and I, we have this eight by eight, little baking glass pan, eight by eight, nine by nine, one of those little brownie pans. And Three nights ago, I was like, hey, you know those blondie, brownie things that you make? Could you make those for us? And uh, night one, three nights ago, we made them and we ate them, the whole thing. <laughs> the next night, I was like, do you have more of the stuff that we can make the brownie, blondie things? And we made them and we ate them. <laughs> last, last night, last night, Five o'clock. I'm like, you have it? She's like, I'm out of ingredients. And I was like, I'll watch the kids. You run to the store. You get the stuff. We made them. And she comes in after feeding our son. And she's like, why'd you eat more than half? Because I was like, I don't know. I just, I was sick. And my, I, I couldn't cut straight. And I ate most of her half of the pan too. And, uh, but it's okay. They're paleo, you know. So, it's, so it was pretty, it was like eating vegetables pretty much. But, you know, we do that. We do Christmas. We do, I mean, I have not stopped eating since November, I don't think. And so we do that. And then we look at the new year. And we're like, oh, I'll never do that again. And like, oh, it's going to be better. And I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to be fluent in Spanish. You know, I'm going to be fluent in Mandarin while I'm at it. And I'm going to have a six pack. And like, we're going to kill all our debt. We're going to have our full savings. We're going to invest a lot. Our kids are going to go to college. And you just like do, you know, this year is the year. And uh, you know, if statistics tell us anything, it's kind of a sad story for us because 92% of us fail our New Year's resolutions, 80% by February. So we don't even get through a month. And 
You know, every year, millions of people across the world, they do this. They look back at one year with disappointment, sometimes shame and regret, and they look ahead to another year with these expectations of, of wanting more. They're longing for more. Our hearts yearn for more. And, and there's good news for us, which is that this more that we long for, the more for our relationships and our families, more for our careers and our bank accounts, more for our physique, or maybe less for our physique, uh, the more joy, more peace, more love, more life, the good news is God has more for us. It's true, 2019, it can be a year of great fruitfulness for you and I. It's actually a year that God desires our fruitfulness. He desires that we would bear much fruit and bring him glory and, and that we would experience great and lasting joy. He wants 2019 to be a year that is marked out for you as the best year that you've ever had. He, he wants 2019 to be a year for you that is marked out for you as a year of incredible growth and satisfaction in him. He, he wants for you to be a year where you know the Lord and you abide in the Lord and you bear great fruit for the Lord. We, we can know that, not because we're trying to like hype ourselves up for another year, but because this is what the scripture tells us. There's a promise for us that we can and God desires for us to abide in Jesus that we might bear much fruit. And so the question comes, how do we do that? How, how do we live 2019 in such a way that we experience what Jesus talks about in John chapter 15? And so let's look at the passage, passage and see what Jesus has to say. So John chapter 15, verse one, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is is the vine dresser. So he sets up the, the situation for us. He says, when I look at the world, this is what I see. There's a true vine, which is me. There's the vine dresser, which is my father. And there's the branches, which are you. And the picture is that of a vineyard. So Jesus looks on the world and he sees a vineyard. And this passage, this is the last of the I am passages in John, where Jesus goes through these statements of saying that he is the great I am, which is an incredible statement, especially in his, in his time to his audience. For, for Jesus to say that he is the great I am, that, that all of the promises of God and the miracles of God, that they're all pointing to him as the great I am was an incredibly offensive statement. It's a statement that could get you killed, which it did. It's a statement that was absolutely heretical, the most heretical thing you could ever say, unless, of course, it was true, to say that you are the great I am. Not, not only is he stating that he is the one true living God, he's also saying that the entire story of the history of Israel, God's people, is pointing to him and finds its fulfillment in him. He says that the manna, the bread from heaven, it was more than just divine catering. It was a miracle pointing to the one who would be the bread of life. He goes on, he says, I am the light of the world shining in the darkness. He says, I am the gate, the only way to God. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I've come to tenderly and lovingly lead God's people. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, the only hope of eternal salvation. If anyone would have life beyond this life, they must find it in me, Jesus says. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then here in John 15, he, he finishes this series of I am statements by saying that he is the vine. I, Isaiah referred to the people of God, 
Israel as a vineyard that in turning away from God, cut themselves off from God, the true vine. Isaiah speaks of Israel and said, they are branches that have cut themselves off, which is the same thing that Adam, the first man did when he sinned and turned himself away from God. And so all of people throughout all of human history have cut themselves off from God by turning away from God. They've been branches that were unfaithful and unfruitful. And, and Jesus comes and he says, I am the true vine. I am the vine who will never cut myself off from God. I'm the vine who will never sin. I'm the vine who will always abide in the perfect love of the Father. I'm the vine who will always be looking at the Father and doing what the Father says and walking in the Father's will. I'm the vine that loves the Father. I'm, I'm always gonna be hiding myself away in the Father, coming to draw from him and drink from him and live for him. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And my Father, he's the vine dresser. And I'm never gonna let myself stray from him. He is the, the, the perfect Adam. He's the man who, who perfects the sin of the sinful man. And so Adam sins and all of the human race follows his path. Jesus comes as the perfect vine. And he says, you can come into my vineyard. You can be a part of the life that I have. You can follow me and you will become a part of this vineyard, which is an everlasting vineyard, a vineyard that will never fade, that will never wither, that will never perish. You can join me in this relationship to the Father, which is a perfect, lasting, holy, pure relationship. And so he says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And he goes on in, in verse two and he says, there's two kinds of people in the world or two kinds of branches. There's the branches that do not bear fruit who the, the Father takes away and then there are the branches that do bear fruit, whom he prunes that they may bear more fruit. So there's two kinds of people in the world. There are people who don't bear fruit, who the Father takes away. And there are those who do bear fruit, who the Father prunes. And those that don't bear fruit, who he takes away, we, we see later in verse six that he doesn't just take them away, he throws them away. If you've ever gardened, you know, how, you know how this goes because when you go to prune a plant, some of the branches are doing well and you prune them back a little bit so that they'll do even better. But there are others that when you go to prune them, they're already dead when you get to them. They're, they're completely fruitless and they're dying on the vine. They look like a branch, but they're not really a branch of that vine because it's dead. There's no life in it. It's not drinking from the vine. If it, if it would be drinking, it would have some fruit, but it has no fruit. It's dead. It's, it's almost like it's just attached on to the vine, but it's not really connected in to the vine. It's literally dying on the vine. And so when you find a vine like that, you find something like that, what do you do? Well, you take it and you throw it in a pile with a bunch of other dead branches. And eventually, if you live in the country, you can't do this. If you live in the city, you go to the green dumpster and throw it in there. If you live in the country, you throw it in a pile and you burn it along with your blue jeans and everything else that you want to burn. You just burn it all. If you live in the city, you can't do that. So at first glance, you might be confused by this. I know I was because Jesus says, and we're going to get, we're diving into theology here. So we're going deep. So just come with me. Uh, if you get confused, just ask Greg. He'll tell you later. So, so Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and then goes on to talk about how uh, they're gonna be, they're gonna wither, they're gonna be burned. There's no doubt that he's referring to eternal punishment or judgment. 
that, that these branches are going to be separated from God and judged by fire. And, and if you've been around the Bible for any period of time, you know that being in Christ is the key to being saved. So you and I aren't saved on the basis of our own merit or good works. I mean, as Brian said last week, we, we bring nothing to the table when we come to God. The, the moment we try and come to God with anything, we can receive nothing from him. You've seen it done before, the whole Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you come to Jesus with nothing, you get everything from him. If you come to Jesus plus anything, your, your own merit, your own good works, your own ability to come to God, you trying to cr- climb the religious or moral ladder, you trying to be a good person that, that, that somehow God will approve of you by your own works, Jesus plus anything means nothing from him. Salvation is a gift that can only be received. We we can't add a single stitch to the robe of righteousness that he has clothed us with. We can't make it any cleaner than it already is. We can't contribute even a quarter of a penny to the ransom price for our redemption. It has been paid in full. Salvation is a gift from God. It can only be received. We, we can't be saved on our own ability. We, we can't climb the religious or moral ladder. I mean, even the next verse, verse three, Jesus himself says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So he doesn't say already you're clean because you've cleaned yourself up and you figured it out. Already you're clean because you stopped sinning and started going to church. Already you're clean because finally you stopped doing that thing and listen to your mama and, and you, 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 know, you, you got your life on the right track. He doesn't say that. No, he says, already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Just one word from Jesus and he makes we who are unclean, clean. And if you are a Christian, you know, the reality is we have, you have heard the word of God because you had to hear his word that he might make you clean. But when you do hear his word and you receive the implanted word of the good news of Jesus, you become clean with him. So he makes it clear this isn't about our salvation. That's been covered when he spoke a word over us. This is about our sanctification. I think uh, John helps us out later on in John 10, 28, quoting Jesus. He says, I have given them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, So Jesus is bending over backwards saying, when I take someone who is far from me and I draw them close and I speak a word over them and I make them into my child, the child of God, they can never be snatched out of my hand. Once you enter into the family of God, you are in the family of God. And then, and then John later in his letter, 1 John 2, verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not have, con- they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Check out what? What did he say? <laughs> what, what John is saying is there were some who were with us. They looked like Christians. We thought they were Christians, but they walked away from Jesus. And when they walked away from Jesus and they completely abandoned the faith, it became evident that they were actually never with Jesus in the first place. They were kind of like a cluster of grapes that had been taped on the vine. They weren't really a branch from the vine. They just looked like they were and they kind of acted like they were, but they weren't really with us. They weren't really in Christ. And so when Jesus says they were in me, but they didn't bear any fruit, it's what John's talking about here, that they they weren't really 
in him. They just looked like they were in him, but it was evident by their lack of fruit that they weren't in him. I told you we were gonna jump deep into theology. So the point being, this is really a warning from God that, that there may be some in church, in a room like this, maybe in this room, who think by our religious activity that we're Christians, who think that by attending church and reading the Bible, maybe praying, maybe doing good to others, maybe trying to have good moral behavior, we think that we're Christians, but we're actually not Christians because we've never heard the word that made us clean, because we've never received the gift of salvation and begun to abide in the vine, which is Jesus. And the point isn't to feel all condemned that, oh, I'm still not good enough. The point is get in the vine. Hear the word that can make you clean and receive the gospel of good news that Jesus Christ has come, the son of God, and lived the perfect life in our place and died our death on our behalf. And then three days later rose from the dead that he might give life to whoever would call on his name. Hear that message. Let that word make you clean. Receive the forgiveness of your sins and, and come after him to follow this, this man who is God, Jesus Christ. And then spend the rest of your life abiding in this vine, getting to know him more and drinking deeply of him and receiving from him and walking with him. And so the point isn't to feel condemned that, oh, I'm not. And, 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 and sometimes as Christians, we can read this verse and feel, oh, my life just, you know, I'm not bearing enough fruit yet, or I just, I don't see all the effects of my fruitfulness yet. And sometimes you don't, which is why God prunes us back, which sometimes being pruned looks like God revealing our sinfulness to us and, and calling us to repent. Sometimes being pruned means God allowing us to go through painful circumstances. I mean, pruning is a painful thing. To be pruned is to be cut, to be cut back that you might bear more fruit. I did my version of pruning this morning. We were in worship and I thought, I should have an illustration. So I went out and I ripped this off our bush. <laughs> That's not gonna help that bush. I'm not as good as the father is at pruning. You see this? I just, I literally just ripped this thing off, that bush. But this branch, although just a little while ago, it was, you know, in the rest of the bush. If I went to tape this branch on the bush, it's not gonna live. Uh, I could decorate it up. I could make it look pretty. I could do some good super gluing stuff, but this branch is gonna die because it's not really in the vine. In the same way, I mean, you and I, I mean, if you think about this branch, like what can this branch do to make itself live? <laughs> I mean, if this branch just did everything in all its might to make itself live, sitting up here on this stage, I don't think it would have much success. If you and I, just all of our mental and emotional energy just willed this branch to live up on this stage, this branch is gonna die. And that's how we are, unless we abide in Christ. But if we abide in Christ and abide deeply in the vine, then there's two things that God is working in us and that God is working 
through us, and that is that the, the life of Jesus is coming to us from the vine, and the Father outside of us is pruning us that we might bear more fruit. And so the branches are being cared for in these two distinct and yet simultaneous ways. Pruning is equivalent to a doctor re-breaking a bone that's healed improperly in order to allow it to heal properly. And let me just tell you, when God prunes you, that can be a painful and a humbling process. Pruning is not something any of us would want to subject ourselves to. Too. And, and actually, it's, it's, the process is God taking something that's somewhat fruitful and cutting it back that it might be more fruitful. And so sometimes when we're being pruned, we feel, God, why are, you, why are you not allowing me to do that thing I used to do or to be in those relationships I used to be in? It feels like you're, you're, you're kind of pulling me back a bit. It feels like you're doing this deep internal work in me, but I'm not seeing the external fruit yet. And God says, yeah, you're right. I'm cutting you back, that you might grow back stronger and more fruitful, that you might blossom and have an abundant life in me. So take comfort when you're being pruned. There's great fruitfulness ahead. Both the pruning hand of our Father and abiding deeply in Jesus are key to living a fruitful life in God. Look at how strong Jesus is on this point. Uh, Verse four, he says, abide in me, And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, This is actually quite offensive to our modern, independent, self-sufficient minds to think that you and I are completely inept. I mean, incapable, incompetent, useless, barren without the life of Jesus flowing through us. Nothing of any lasting value can come from us. I mean, to think that, that you and I, we could work our entire lives doing things that in the end, produce nothing. We could literally run hundreds of Bible studies, feed thousands of meals to the homeless, adopt orphans, care for refugees, befriend the lonely, clothe the naked, work tirelessly in our careers, raise our children, serve our community. And in the end, our lives, at the end of our lives, it would all burn up if we didn't do it from this place of abiding in the love of Jesus and receiving from him that we might give what he gives to us out to Others. If it's not sourced in and supplied by Jesus, it won't make any eternal difference. I mean, God just puts us in this place of complete humility and dependence on him. Not, not just for our fruitfulness, but for our entire lives. I mean, every breath in our lungs is a gift from God. <sighs> that was a gift. That was another one. <sighs> that could be my last. It wasn't. (laughs) Every gift from God, every breath is a gift from God. Every moment in this life. I heard one pastor, you know, because we do these countdown clocks, preachers. I heard one pastor say, he said, I take that countdown clock as it's counting down the last minutes of my life. And And I just stand up here and I say to you, whatever I would say, if I only had 17 minutes and 23 seconds left in my life, 
And you might go, 17 minutes? What's he gonna say for 17 minutes? That's not the point, come on. Uh, <laughs> every moment that we have is a gift from God. We're being sustained. The universe is being sustained, upheld by the very word of Jesus. We can do nothing on our own. It's offensive and yet it's incredibly true and humbling. As Charles Spurgeon, pastor in the 1800s, once said, live near to Jesus, Christian, and it's a matter of secondary importance, whether thou live, livest, I can't talk like him, on the mountain of honor or in the valley of humiliation, living near to Jesus, thou art covered with the wings of God and underneath thee are the everlasting arms. To abide in Jesus is to allow his word to abide in us. What does it mean for his word to abide in us? Or as Paul says in Colossians 3, for his word to richly dwell in us. Well, well to dwell is to take up residence. If I'm, if I'm gonna dwell in my house and I'm gonna live or take up residence in my house. So what does it mean for the words of Jesus to take up residence in us? Well, I would think that it means that, that I mean, in the least, that we're spending time in this book, that, that we're spending time pouring over and getting to know and reading and meditating, maybe memorizing the words of this book, which are the very words of God himself. And I'm not the only one with the book. You've got one under your chair. You can buy one on Amazon. I'm talking about the Bible here. The, the words of God found in the scriptures. I think hearing and allowing his words to take up resonance in us at least means spending time reading this and meditating on this and memorizing this, that his words might abide in us and that they would begin to shape the way that we think about the world, the way that we feel about the world, the way that we respond to the world. I mean, living according to and abiding in the words of Jesus, I think it would have a massive impact on our lives. And, and you know, we, we're wrapping up this uh, year-long Bible reading plan as a church, and you may have fallen off, you know, that thing a week in or six months in, or maybe you're still going strong. We're going to re-up that in the new year and do a new Bible reading plan. When that comes out, we start pushing out information on that. Jump in on that thing. Get yourself in this, in this book. One actor speaking of the importance of knowing their lines and knowing them well, which I think actors can just be great tutors for us as Christians because they understand embodying the words of another. This actor said, you have to know your lines alone in your room. You have to know them when you speak them aloud with other actors. You have to know them in the rehearsal room. You have to know them in front of the first audience at the first preview. You have to know them in front of the critics. You have to know them on a wet Wednesday matinee, 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 matinee. It's just in my notes. It just looks like matinee, but it's matinee. Three months later. The point, you have to know your lines at all times, in all places, in all circumstances. It sounds a lot like Psalm 1, doesn't it? which says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I mean, we're, we're launching this Bible reading plan. Friends, we can be like that man in Psalm 1 who, who, who doesn't sit or stand with or walk in the way of sinners, but who sits with and stands in and walks with the words of God. 
that we might plant ourselves along this stream of the river of God. And that in that we might have joy and fruit and our leaf would not wither. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Friends, prayer is our greatest privilege as Christ followers. That the fact that we get to enter into the very presence of God himself and not just be in his presence, but actually hear his words to us and then say words back to him, that that we get to have this communion with God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the the one who is over all things, that, that we get to walk with him in this loving relationship. It's the greatest privilege we have as Christ followers Amzi Clarence Dixon, in his sermon, How to Pray, says, the place of real prayer is the Christian's treasure chamber. He in there in the midst of the treasures of grace, which God has given him, and it is in there that God enriches him more and more. In the secret place of the Most High where he dwells, he is rich in love, joy, and peace and all the fruits of the Spirit. These realities of the Christian life, they're all intertwined and they all lead back to this one thing of abiding in Jesus. And so Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then then you're gonna come to the Father. You're gonna ask the Father according to my will with with my words in you. So my words are shaping your prayers and and my Father is gonna answer your prayer. And when he answers your prayer, it's gonna lead to fruitfulness in your life. And when there's fruitfulness in your life, your life glorifies God. And as your life glorifies God, you're gonna wanna abide in me more and then more of this and more of this and more. It's just this, Jesus saying, just abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. All this flows out of abiding with him. The source of the Christian's life is abiding in Jesus. And the end result of the Christian life is the glory of God. To close this out, how do we practically abide in Jesus? We abide in three ways. We abide in his word. We abide in his love and we abide in his joy. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's an amazing truth. We love Jesus only because he first loved us. We love God. Some people say, oh, I just love God. Or, oh, they love God. Like, they really love God. Like, oh, they just, they love him so, they're great Christians. They love God. Reality is none of us love God unless we first understand that God has loved us. We're responding to something that God has done towards us and for us. We're not producing something in and of ourselves, right? So, so there's no great Christians. There's just Christians who receive more of the love of God and then give out that love to others. And this isn't just the starting line of the Christian faith. Like, it's not just like, oh, I start with like God loves me and then the rest of my walk is like me loving him more and doing more for him. No, no, this is like every step of the Christian life is receiving the love of God and walking in the love of God. As 1 John 4, 19 tells us, we love because he first loved us. But here's the thing, love and obedience are not in opposition to one another. They go hand in hand. We don't obey so that we'll be loved. We obey because we are loved. And and the father loved Jesus and Jesus received that love through walking in obedience. In the same way, Jesus loves us and we receive that love by walking in obedience. And obedience is, 
Obedient, so, so like my daughter, my daughter can do things that please me and that cause her to draw near to me. And my daughter can do things that, that cause her to pull away from me and displease me. What, my daughter's actions don't change my love for her, but my daughter's actions can cause me pleasure or my daughter's actions can cause me grief and pain. My daughter's actions can draw her near. So if she runs to me and says, dada, 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 if my wife and I tell her to do something and she says, yes, dada, and then comes and gives me a hug, or if, if we tell her to do something, she says, no, and she runs away, her actions can cause us pleasure or they can cause us grief. They can cause her to draw near or they can cause her to pull away. When Jesus says, abide in my love by obeying me, that's what he's Saying, so, so abide in my word, abide in my love, finally abide in his joy. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There are many forms of truth in the Bible. You have instruction, encouragement, warning, rebuke, many forms, yet they all have this one goal, this one target. And that target is God's glory through our joy. The target of everything in the scriptures is God's glory through our joy. All that Jesus spoke is meant to produce joy in his people. That's a profound statement. And if we got our heads around that, I think we'd be a really happy people. If we got our heads around that, I think it would shape the way that we worship. It would shape the way that we gather. It would shape the way that we interact. It would shape the way that we carry ourselves that everything Jesus spoke to us is meant to produce joy in us. And that's not just me saying, I mean, go back to the verse. These things I've spoken to you, that, underline, circle, bold, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, every teaching and command in this book is a sign pointing out the road to joy. Pastor and author John Piper puts it this way. He says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. C.H. Spurgeon, one more time. He says, a Christian has never fully realized what Christ came to make him until he has grasped the joy of the Lord. And that's an important thing, that this joy is not just some joy out there. This is Jesus' own joy. He gives to us the joy that he has. So Jesus is not some grumpy, commanding, barking orders king. No, he's a joyful King. And any joy that we get from him is his own joy. And, and, and the joy that he possesses, it's the joy of abiding in the Father's love. And I just want us to pause here and soak that up for a minute. That the eternal God, the holy God who's set apart, who's, who's nothing like us, he doesn't just know us, right? Because I think we're all aware of God knows me and you know, it's, you know, it's kind of see God like Santa Claus sometimes. He's watching when you're sleeping. You know, it's just like, like, wow, he's, you know, he's, we know that he knows us, but he doesn't just know us. He loves us. He sets his love upon us. His affections he has placed upon us. And if that doesn't make your joy full, there is nothing in this life that can. If knowing the love of the Father doesn't make your joy full, there's nothing that can. Not only does he love us, it gets even better. Jesus, enjoying perfect friendship with the Father, extends the same offer of friendship to you and I. You know, there's no greater title we could have in the whole world. Millionaire, CEO, president of the United States, 
being called a friend of God is so much better than any of it. And you know, we, we try and uh, posture with one another. You know, we, anytime you're in a conversation, you're always trying to figure out like, what's the subtitle on that person's business card? Dylan Neely, what is he? Is he a father? Is he a husband? Is he a pastor? Well, you know, we do it. We do it on social media. We do it on our car. We, in conversations, we're trying to figure out where do they stand? Who are they connected to? Are they greater than me, less than me? Especially in honor, shame cultures, this is a big deal. Jesus says we're friends of God. There's no greater title that you can have in this life or in the life to come, which puts us all on level playing fields. So whether your title is homeless or your title is CEO, we're all on this level playing field of friend of God. Not only that, I mean, our connections. I mean, if I were to tell you that I, I'm friends with Bruno Mars and, and not just friends, not, not just like I follow him on Instagram, but like, and for you older people, Stevie Wonder, you know, so, uh, <laughs> but like we were kicking it this week. Like we were like eating Christmas cookies together, you know, and, and he makes a mean Christmas cookie and he was eating my paleo brownies. And if I were to tell you that, oh, wow, you're connected to There's no greater connection that we have than this connection to Jesus Christ that we get to abide in him and be his friend. Friends, I hope that we get that. I hope that, I mean, it's, especially if you've been in church any period of time, it's like, yeah, I've heard that. Tell that to the Sunday school kids, we get it, you know, but I hope that we get, it's such a privilege and a joy. And if if Bruno Mars called me right now, and was like, hey, let's kick it, I'd be like, yeah. I don't agree with some of your songs, but yeah, you're awesome. Uh, And how much more when Jesus says, hey, come spend some time with me. I wanna speak words into your life. Above all things in Jesus' life and ministry, he was a son and a friend. He was a son of the father and a friend to the father. And he invites us this year, 2019, he invites us into that sweet fellowship. He invites us to walk with him, that his word might be in us, that his joy might be in us, that, his, that we might abide deeply in his love. And so I just wanna invite us in this year. I wanna invite us in as we look back on the last year and we look ahead to the next year. I wanna invite us to make a new year's resolution that this year would be a year of abiding more deeply in the word and the love and the joy of Jesus than we ever have in our lives before. And friends, I believe as we do that, as we do that, our lives and our lives together will be so fruitful and we will have so many answers to our prayers and we will bring such glory to God that we will have a joy like we have never had before. So I want to invite us into that this year. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us. The band's going to come lead us in a song.